example of uh, Chris's psychosis. <laughs> like usual, I have to clean up his mess. Okay. My name is Peter. I'm a recovered alcoholic. And uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred fellowship called Alcoholics Anonymous. And thanks, Dave, for having me here. I'm not sure if I should thank him for connecting me with Chris again. But, and um, I have this topic here called um, Finding God Through the Something of Early Recovery. And so I had to go to Google Dictionary three times to find out what I was talking about because um, I never heard this word. And I thought Dave and Chris were just playing a prank on me. But I got an idea what I'm supposed to talk about. And uh, so it isn't so difficult. Um, God separated me from alcohol on June 23rd, 1988. And uh, I'm a recovered alcoholic. And I say recovered because I am. And anything less than that would be falsely humble. So uh, loving God took me from the scrap heap after uh, six treatment centers and bouncing in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous, many times with the powerful desire to stop drinking, uh, but the needed power wasn't there, and the obsession of the mind kept pulling me back and taking me back, back to that which is killing me. And uh, six treatment centers, uh, AA doesn't work, uh, priests don't work, my uh, uh, Religion doesn't work. I had my dad walk in my room one time and, and douse me with holy water. Um, that didn't work. I went to therapists and shrinks, and that didn't work. Thank the good Lord back then they weren't so easily medicating people like me, because I may have a whole sundry of other problems today. But um, something happened uh, in 1988. Uh, it was an internal shift, which I never experienced, and it manifested, and I'm willing to do anything. And um, and that turned into uh, divine intervention where the dots got connected uh, and I found myself in my seven treatment center. And uh, I had uh, arrived at my seven treatment center um, being homeless and panhandling through Brooklyn and lower Manhattan and uh, welcomed the idea, as Bill says, of dying. And I could not stop drinking. I had uh, lots of experience with non-conference-approved dry goods through the years, and uh, I got addicted to that. But I, I walked away, uh, but I could not get away from alcohol. And the last couple of years was uh, Mr. Boston Blackberry Brandy, and uh, um, it was a hell of a uh, an experience with that. Um, Something happened uh, between my first drink and my last drink on June 23rd, 1988. And um, the main thing that I, I, I looking back now, what, what I was experiencing was the progression of alcoholism, which doesn't stop because I'm sober and going to AA meetings. And, you know, contemporary AA will have us believe that because we put down a drink and are attending AA meetings that somehow we've gotten recovered or better. And uh, in reality, we can get a lot worse. I drank alcohol to deal with my alcoholism. I love the effect produced by alcohol. That's why I drank. If it was a problem, I wouldn't go back to it. I like the effect produced by alcohol. Um, knew nothing about the obsession in the mind, the phenomenon called craving, the spiritual malady. I had alcoholism on, on my mom's side of the family. Most of them are dead from uh, addiction and alcoholism. My mom suffered from alcoholism, and she took her own life because of the, uh, the uh, humiliation and degradation that she was brought to. So it was there, but um, it was never my truth. I always looked at it as someone who was weak and cowardly and just couldn't man up and drink like others, but I didn't know I suffered from alcoholism, even with five treatment centers. 
I remember going into my fifth treatment center, and uh, I had a, somewhat of an idea that I had, a, a, as Chris said earlier, a drinking problem, but alcoholism is something else. And uh, I spent nine weeks in this treatment center, and um, um, I was discharged on a Saturday and drunk on Monday. And um, through six treatment centers, uh, the 28-day models, except for this one nine-week stay, and back then it was, you know, the insurance companies would pay the 28-day cure, and uh, they would never allow you to stay for 29 days because that was way too long. And 27, you're not ready, but for somebody in 28, no matter what, good luck. And, uh, <clears throat> but with six treatment centers... Uh, I managed a total of two days of sobriety over a bunch of years. From my first treatment center to my sixth, I managed two days sobriety on my own power, and that was after my fifth treatment center. And I'm the type of alky that blows up. If, God forbid, I was to drink, um, uh, you'd find me in a dumpster tomorrow. I, I, I don't have a, a gradual decline. I, I just blow up. Um, <clears throat> so two days sobriety on my own power, and... Um, I get released uh, from my seven treatment center, and um, I, I spend 10 days in the same treatment center in Amityville, Long Island. Um, I have been there six previous times. I could pretty much do the groups. The people thought I worked there. You're back again. It was my, the, the, uh, the treatment center states were getting closer, to cl close, uh, closer and closer together, and the depths of despair kept getting deeper and deeper. It was getting progressively worse. And... Um, Getting out of, I go into the seven treatment center. I'm up there about ten days, and they sent me off to Minnesota. And uh, about ten days of walking around in this treatment center in in South Oaks Hospital, um, I'm looking to drink again. And on the way into the seven treatment center, there were there were some really clear uh, uh, instructions by God and some real in, uh, divine intervention. But alcoholism doesn't care about that. And uh, with about 10 days into this place, I'm pacing the, uh, the lobby of the, the, the nurse's station, like Bill paced the, the lobby of the hotel, of the Mayflower Hotel. And I'm thinking, I need to get out of here and get one more Mr. Boston in me, and then I can go back to the group and talk about my feelings and my issues and my, all of that stuff. Now, I'm in the treatment center business, and some of that is valid. I, I, I can't discount all of the therapy they do, and there's some people who really care about the people sitting in front of them. But I'm a real alcoholic, and I had been down that route and that wasn't working for me anymore and there I was trying to do expect different things from the, from the same process and um, I'm pacing back and forth and I need to get out and uh, by a, a series of events I land in uh, uh, another treatment center in Minnesota and I was out there for about six weeks and uh, I went to something called uh, a halfway house, a three-quarter house, and a sober house and I put together uh, ten months of staying out of the northeast but something happened in that, in, in that piece, uh, in that transition. When I got to Minnesota and I started to go out to outside meetings, they took me to a meeting called the Three Legacies Group um, in somewhere in Minneapolis. And it was the first time I saw a meeting like this. Now, I had been to AA many times in Brooklyn. Uh, a lot of keep coming back and cheering and applauding and put the plug in a jug. It's all neat fellowship stuff. But it lacked depth and weight, and I wasn't even willing. And thank the good Lord, God had some people pick me up and take me to this Three Legacies meeting. And what I saw was a meeting on a Friday night of a few hundred people. And from the greeters down to the uh, literature people, down to the coffee makers, everyone was dressed. 
They didn't look like they were going to go commit a felony as soon as the meeting was over. And the speakers got to the podium with a suit and tie on, and women wore suits, and everyone looked like they were sober. And I came from a different walk of life. I came in from the streets. It was a completely different animal to me, and I liked what they had. I wanted what they were offering. They looked clean. They looked. They had integrity. They were representing the big book and AA, and it meant a whole lot to me. And they didn't ask me where I had been or what treatment center I, I, I just came from. They just said, welcome. And I walk into this meeting, and, and the speaker would get up there and talk about the experience they had in Alcoholics Anonymous because of the big book Alcoholics Anonymous and living in all three sides of the triangle. And it was the first time my ears heard that there's more to this than just going to meetings. Because what I was being exposed to, um, along with this and certainly prior, was a lot of different information. Uh, I, was, I live in Florida now, and um, I, I summed this up best by telling you what happened to me at a meeting in, in uh, West Boca. It was a beginner's meeting I just happened to walk into, and uh, they were talking about the methodology to get sober. And if there were 30 people in the room, I heard 30 different ways to get sober. Just don't drink, go to meetings, read the 12 and 12, stay in the first step for a year, stay in the third step for a year, don't do a fourth step, you better do a fourth step, it was all this stuff. And I'm sitting there now, if God forbid I was a newcomer, I'm more confused now in an AA meeting than I was before I walked in. I was in pretty good shape before I walked in, I have no idea what to do anymore. I was being bombarded with a lot of things like that. You know, spiritual books, 12 and 12 books, comes of age, a great, uh, 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 some great information. They had these living sober, come to believe, and one was contradicting the other. I didn't know what to do. And so here comes sponsorship. Right. And my sponsor ought to be someone who's had an experience and talked to me experientially about getting recovered to the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and God put that teacher in my life. But there I was at this Three Legacies meeting, and these people talked about what they were experiencing. More than that, they invited me into their lives. This gave me great depth and weight. I'm an alcoholic, and from the north, Northeast, I don't trust anyone, including me. So if you tell me this is what I did, I really don't believe you until I see how you're living. And this carried a lot of depth and weight. I couldn't deny what my eyes were seeing. Right? And so they would invite me to the diner. And they would take me out, and I had no money, and they didn't let me feel uncomfortable. Like, you're, you know, you're with us. And, and they would buy me dinner at the diner, and we would talk, and they would invite me into their home. And one of the best things was uh, one day uh, they, there was a 49er and Viking playoff game, and they invited me over to this guy's house, and there was a bunch of AA folks and couples. And I listened. I listened. All the time I listen. I observe a lot how people be. And uh, I heard them talking about uh, life circumstances, which is completely different, I've come to find out, than the essence of my life. What I do for a living is not my life. What I drive is not my life. How much money I have is not my life. What I wear is not my life. God's spirit, that's my life. And they were able to separate the two. And, but they talked about uh, uh, going through life circumstances. And how they talked about it was as recovered men and women with integrity and dignity and compassion for others, the challenges raising children. And none of them ever said, I'm going to drink over this or, or character assassinate someone. They went up head, uh, head up, shoulder squared as little spiritual warriors. And that was the convincer for me. I said, my God, they're doing this. This thing out there that I can never pull off, they're doing it. They're really doing what this book is talking about. They talked about making amends and things like that and how they had a prayer life and a meditative life. And I said, oh, my Lord, this is for real. People really do this. 
Add to that, the ground within me was very fertile. I was in the place where God said, now go. A day shy of that, I would have said they're hypocrites and I would have found fault. I would always find fault in something. But I wasn't doing that any longer. There was something in me that was ignited on June 23rd, 1980, that placed me in a position of willingness to do anything, and I was listening different for the first time. That's a God movement, because I can't plan that. I still can't plan that. I can't plan on my own power, even going to any lengths nowadays. So I turn to the Father, and I say, thank you, God, for the willingness to go to any lengths, almost 24 years sober. Because I can't depend on me for that. Lack of power is my dilemma. With power, no dilemma. So I return to the power to move forward and spread the good news. Prior to that, I will find fault and cracks in the armor. And I would go right past all the good. My sponsor gave me a great analogy. He says, uh, a sparrow will find a withered branch in a cherry tree. Can eat for a week. Fill his belly. But he will find the withered branch if he's looking for it. I can do that in Alcoholics Anonymous and become a warring theologian quickly rather than becoming a teacher as God would have us be, right? So I'm coming around and I'm, I'm making meetings. Uh, I was making lots of meetings, butted up with a bunch of guys in AA and we go from meeting, like running partners out there, we were running partners in Alcoholics Anonymous and just kept making meetings and meetings and meetings. And uh, I was getting confused very often my first six months. And what happened to me uh, during my first six months when I came, uh, uh, when I came home, I should say, from Minnesota, um, I was confused as to who to turn to, and I walked into a group one night, and um, I heard a man share a message that was almost identical to what they were talking about in Minnesota. And he walked, it was like a tornado walking through the room. My first sponsor resembled this guy, uh, Louis de Palmer on Taxi. I remember him. And he didn't care how he sounded. He didn't care about ruffling anyone's feathers. He always told me, my job is to help you save your life, and I don't care how I have to do it. And, and quite frankly, that thread is still with me when I talk to a drunk one-on-one. I don't really care about language. You're on a ledge. You've got to get pulled in, and I don't care about scraping your knees. But uh, I, this guy got to the podium one night and shared about recovery, service, and unity, and that the most important relationship in his life was with God, and he found God through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and that spirit said, go approach that man. And we began this journey through the book. And the first thing I, he told me when I says, uh, can you sponsor me? He says, not yet. I never heard not yet. What do you mean? You're supposed to say yes. That's how AA works. The first thing you need to do is read from the preface to page 164. When you get to working with others, you'll see what I'm talking about. Because they talk about that. He said, when you completed the reading, and you're willing to go to any length still, then I will sponsor you. So I knocked the reading out in a couple of days. I call him and read. He says, you think you're an alcoholic? You're like some magical. Yes. You want to go to any to get sober? Yes. Do you want help? Yes. Then we started. And he gave me my first step. He gave me some instructions. And what he did was bullet, take bullets out of the book and left the reading up to me. He wasn't a sponsor, and I'm not now, but I need to sit down and go line by line with you. That's your work. I will give you exercises, spiritual tools out of this book. I had a teacher named Mark did the same thing. Pull bullets out of the book. Bullets out of the book. My job is to go home, read line by line, and come back to the teacher with questions about what I read. And I found sitting down, and there's different ways of sponsoring people, but for me, sitting down line by line, I'm doing your work. And maybe I want it more for you than you do. So I learned great things with this man, Tony, and little by slowly, it, I was able to take apart 
uh, the information in the fellowship and what the big book was talking about, and I started to have some experiences with this book. The idea is to have this book internalized, not memorized. Knowledge will not work, especially in strange mental blank spots. And because of this book, I don't have strange mental blank spots. But have the information internalized, have an internal shift in consciousness where we're not driven or guided by a mind-dominated life, which is how most of us are operating with a mind-dominated life which sits in fear. So I see through fear, I hear through fear, and I speak with fear. And I have chatter going on constantly, the voices of a thousand different people speaking to me at the same time, all fear-based and insecure. That's not recovered. Because what I have to do with that, and I was shown this, and based on my own experience, I can say it's abundantly true. In order to deal with that uncertainty, that skepticism, that doubt, and the voices of fear, I need to seek relief. And I will seek relief in food, and sex, and thinking, and anger, and fear, etc., ad infinitum. Because alcoholism goes underground, and it resurfaces in other areas. And we walk into an AA meeting, and say, I'm great, I got you know, a year sober, two years sober, 30 days sober, and everything's great. But prior walking into that meeting, I'm a train wreck. And as soon as I leave the meeting, I'm a train wreck. And I sleep with a sense of disease and discomfort when I put my head on a pillow. And I wake up and the voices are saying, you're late, let's go. And it's constant, constant dialogue. And I can never be present to the moment. I can never be still. I can never be mindful because I'm pulling from the past and I'm pushing into the future. How could I be present if I'm still driven by voices of the past? It's impossible. And by being really clear on the book, in the information in this book, and separating, and I really mean separating from the 12 and 12, unless I needed traditions. You can't say that at some meetings because they get really annoyed, but it's just my truth. I separated from the 12 and 12 and a lot of information that AA has, 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 has approved. It wasn't what I needed to live. It wasn't what I needed to get recovered. But the book could if I was seeking, and I was seeking with the desperation of a drowning man. And little by slowly, the circle around our triangle, which had gaps and was split for me, was little by slowly put back together, and I was made whole. See? I was finally experiencing connectedness rather than separateness with this power. And then I was able to embrace the other literature and work with it, including a 12 and 12, or any other literature that's out there. And I gobble up lots of books now, but I don't read them. I don't read spiritual books. My sponsor told me, we work with these books to have that information internalized, because my job is now to grow in understanding and effectiveness. We've got our spiritual wings. I'm supposed to be of service to anyone who comes in contact with me. And because of that path, I've been given a life of invitation. I don't try to barge into your life if you don't invite me. And that includes my family and people I sponsor. There's an invitation ex extended to me, and then I go. It, does, it takes away from fear, and it takes away from me wanting to fit in, having to fit in to be a part of. It's none of my business where I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to be a part of and whose life I'm supposed to be a part of. That's none of my business. That's managing my own life for 24 years sober. I'm an alcoholic, drunk or sober. I'm not supposed to be managing my own life. God's supposed to do that. And in that manifest, then you invite me here. Someone invites me to sponsor them. Family says we're having a get-together. What a great way to live. It's free and easy. Huh? My first six months, my very beginning, though, before I came home to New York, I was living in Minnesota, and uh, I was being taken to this Three Legacies meeting. But there was, you know, prior to going to that meeting and then after the meeting until I got connected with some folks, I was in Alcoholics Anonymous and making meetings. 
I was experiencing being restless, irritable, and discontented. I didn't know what to do. And I start to experience little sprees in Alcoholics Anonymous, but wouldn't tell anyone in AA. And then that quiet voice one day had me break, completely break. And I was, I was in serious trouble, even though I'm making meetings. That's why I can talk about this from a place of experience about the, the sprees and the untreated alcoholism we experience in AA. Because it's a fact. It's a reality. If I'm not growing, I'm going, as they used to say. And there was one day, was, uh, uh, I was living at this, this friend's house. He was sober longer than me. And um, he says, take a room in the back. And I was desperately seeking work and just trying to find my way. And uh, I broke. I completely broke. And in a sense, I bottomed out in AA. And I hit my knees and I started to pray. Father, if you're out there, I'm in serious trouble again. Just show me what to do. And I opened up the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to a vision for you, which is my, my favorite chapter on, for personal uh, reasons. And I, I read through a vision for you, and I got to page 164, which we're all familiar with it. There was something that went on with me that was ignited again. I actually felt like I was with the people who wrote it. I wasn't feeling alone. There was some hope. There was light at the end of the tunnel. Shortly afterwards, I came home, and um, I haven't looked back since. When it says we, we are with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, I, that's very tangible to me in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's why I call AA a sacred place, because it is. We have a neat opportunity in AA, and I don't understand why we don't, people don't take advantage of it. It's just probably part of the illness. But most of us are walking around living the life through our, our own eyes, right? living along the lines of human consciousness, which is always cunning, baffling the power, manipulative, selfish, self-seeking, self-absorbed. Even though I tell you I'm a really humble guy and I really want to help you, there's even a motive to me helping you half the times. Or we can live along the lines of God consciousness, which is peace, ease, and comfort, present to the moment. And the great thing for someone like me, who's a, a dying alcoholic before I got to AA, that the problem will be removed. Let's shout that from the rooftops in some of our AA meetings, that the problem will be removed. It's no longer a problem. Problem to solve is no longer a problem. I get recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and the isms that accompany alcoholism. I stand free as God created me the day I was born. Because what this process do, guys, it doesn't take us back home. Some of us have little children. They don't need to write inventory, call a sponsor. They're perfect. They're perfect. The spirit, that's why we act goofy around little kids. It's God oozing out of them, right? We make all sorts of distorted faces. We talk gibberish. We get goofy. We get happy. We smile. It's pretty good. It's children. It's that spirit that's totally pure. The unmanifested coming out and touching me. Well, that's what we get to do. We get to return home to that purity, honesty, unselfishness, and loving place, as the Oxfords talked about. Right, to this process of recovery. Right. I'm grateful for the teachers that were put in my path, from my first sponsor in Brooklyn to another gentleman in Texas to the sponsor I'm currently working with. All people I call enlightened in AA, and that's okay to say in AA that we have gurus and enlightened people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been very blessed because some of my lineage was a very rich lineage, a very rich lineage. And how's a kid from Brooklyn land side-by-side uh, uh, side with this gentleman from Texas who introduced me, a man from uh, uh, Colorado and Santa Monica and so on and so forth. How does that happen? It makes no sense to a thinking mind. 
the spiritual life makes no sense to a thinking mind, so I no longer try to figure it out the way I don't try to figure God out. But on a spiritual path, it makes absolute sense. It makes absolute sense, and my job is just to go with it and experience all of it. So sponsorship was a thing that allowed me to come in off the ledge and point me to information and people who are going to be of maximum service to me. And all they asked me to do is go pass it on to others and don't water it down, don't gobble it down, and move forward. That's all I got. Thank you.